Welcome to the next episode of the In Development Podcast. My name is Olivia, and this is the podcast for all you city builders, city shapers, and city dwellers out there that care about driving change towards people-centered communities. On In Development, we talk about how Canadian cities develop in and up. We are presented by IDEA, the Infill Development in Edmonton Association, a nonprofit education and advocacy group bringing together like-minded people working to shape our city. Our guest today is Han Leong. He's the chair of the Edmonton Chinatown Transformation Collaborative, which is a collective of a group of passionate advocates and organizations who continue to share the goal of preserving Chinatown as you know, a culturally significant and celebrated location in Edmonton, like it historically has been. He's by trade, a CPA, a chartered professional accountant, and he's also a real estate developer running a small company at LPY Holdings um, with a focus on local community development. Han, however, is going to be focused on talking about his work with the CTC, and he was motivated to join the CTC um, because of his extensive childhood experience growing up in and around Chinatown. He sees Chinatown as part of his Chinese-Canadian identity and considers it to be a major cultural asset that should be well preserved and that is reflected in his work at the CTC. We have a few things to define for you. I don't want to take up too much time because um, the episode is really exciting, so I want to get right into it. But um, a couple of things we talk about that we should define. Uh, first, it's the Exclusion Act. Um, it's actually an Immigration Act. It, it's colloquially referred to as the Exclusion Act. It's celebrating its 100th year anniversary. It was enacted in uh, tw- 1923 and finally repealed in 1947. And basically what it did was um, it was a federal act that prevented um, people of Chinese origin um, prevented them from immigrating into Canada. So between that 24-year period between 1923 and 1947, less than 100 Chinese people were allowed to enter Canada. It's kind of crazy. So celebrating kind of um, tongue-in-cheek its 100-year anniversary this year. Um, the second thing that we wanted to find is a CRL, um, Community Revitalization Levy. It's a provincial program. Um, it's also a planning and financial tool. So what it does is it allows municipalities to um, borrow money from the province to build public infrastructure, it's things like roads, municipal buildings, wastewater system upgrades, stuff like that in a specific area. Um, and that uh, borrowing, they're, they're basically borrowing against the future tax revenue. So as the infrastructure improves the area and spurs new private development, the tax base in that area increases, those that tax growth over the next um, you know, 20 to 40 years, get pay, uh, ends up paying back the initial loan to build that infrastructure. So it's a fairly it's a fairly important um, program. It's fairly new. There's only five um, that are uh, applicable right now in in Alberta. Three in Edmonton, so the quarters Belvedere and Capital City downtown, and then there's two in Calgary as well. The other thing we talked about was the High Park redevelopment in Calgary. And I want to talk a little bit about this project because we mentioned it in the episode. Um, and this is a project that was initiated by the Beltline Neighborhood Association in Calgary. And this project reimagines an underutilized 90,000 square foot rooftop of the Center City Parkade located at 340 10th Ave Southwest. This space definitely provided much needed additional public space in the community, and it's an incredible piece of public art as well for the city. Um, The park opened on September 25th, 2021, and encompasses a large wooden boardwalk that introduces numerous playstations, including a seesaw, stationery, bikes, swings, ping pong, 
cornhole, tetherball, and more. It has become a place as a destination for the arts by adding more murals, additional seating, and a central performance stage for arts and for events. Not to mention it's a, an incredibly colorful installation. Uh, if you're ever in Calgary, definitely check it out. Now let's talk to someone building our city. All right, so uh, on this episode, we are talking to Han Leong, who's the chair of the Edmonton Chinatown Transformation Collaborative. And this is a collective that was formed in 2018 by a group of passionate advocates and organizations who continue to share the goal of preserving Chinatown as a culturally significant and celebrated location in Edmonton. So uh, welcome to the show, Han. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Olivia. Yeah, um, I think uh, we met in um, during the Station Lands opening, the groundbreaking event. I think when I met you, I definitely really, I definitely loved your energy, first of all. I think you, I definitely like that you spoke passionately about Chinatown and you were so involved, which it was, and it was a very different perspective from some of the organizations that have uh, contributed to community engagement in Chinatown. So I actually really, really enjoy talking with you. Um, so you've been quite involved and vocal about the position of Chinatown in our city. Uh, maybe tell us a bit about your story and how you saw Chinatown in our city growing up. Yeah, thanks, Olivia. So I think you brought it up. It's it's that our community lacks um, some youth. And I think traditionally in Chinatown, um, there is a lot of representation, but not necessarily from some of the younger people. Uh, so one of those things, one of those calls to action that I felt, um, you know, I did have a family that had a business in Chinatown. Uh, we used to run uh, a really unsuccessful beef jerky store out of Shanshan Bakery. Um, but I spent many days, you know, growing up there, um, living that lifestyle, driving to Chinatown in that hope of, of um, you know, reaching that golden mountain, you know, to uh, starting a new life in, in, in Edmonton, in Canada. So I have a really strong tie to Chinatown and a sense of belonging. And so, of course, for all of us um, that are born in Canada, we oftentimes have that struggle between, you know, obviously looking visibly different, but feeling Canadian. And so, um, you know, just driving through Chinatown a lot, I felt that my skill set as a developer, possibly as a community um, builder, um, could be lent into Chinatown. And, and so I, I volunteered with the CDC and within a short amount of time, um, you know, I was elected as a chair. So that's kind of a really short abbreviated version of, of why I'm here in Chinatown now. That's so cool. I wonder if I've seen that beef jerky store. <laughs> yeah, I grew, I, I, I did a lot of like, I did a lot of school. Um, so my parents always put me in uh, language school. So especially Chinese school and they, the Chinatown Multicultural Center actually had um, like a language, a language program that you just spent like six, seven weeks there and you and you learn Chinese and they teach you about how, how to actually cook rice properly and how to do dumplings and stuff like that. So I, I wonder if I saw it in passing. Um, so you have traveled to other cities, Chinatowns, um, correct? Yeah, my family, actually my mother and father, they, they currently reside in Vancouver now. So I visit Vancouver quite often. Oh, that's so cool. And, and what's your experience with them? What do you see as some of the differences, similarities, challenges that they're going through that that is also evident in our in our city as well each city has their own um, combination of of the issues right uh, of course in vancouver um the affordability is just it's very hard to own a home or even to rent a place there 
and they're dealing with that. And so, you know, of course, the result of that inability to answer that, that problem, uh, we see a lot of people in the streets of East, East, East Van. Um, they, of course, are dealing with a lot of opiate issues. And so we do share a lot of that. But the situation we have in Edmonton, I feel, is, is actually quite unique. Um, you know, when we talk about Montreal, um, they are also had to deal with, you know, a train that basically just cuts through their Chinatown. And so there's this, you know, this feeling of um, systemic racism for whatever it is, displacement. Um, we see it across all cities. And we ask ourselves, why? Why is this always happening in Chinatown? And so, um, yeah, just going back to your question, I think each city is a little bit different. In Edmonton, uh, what I feel is that we we don't have necessarily um, maybe the, the, the support from the province, you know, in, in terms of funding um, homelessness or shelters or recovery um, compared to Calgary, we're definitely, we're not on the same level as they are yet. We have a, a really serious, more serious problem than they have in Calgary. So some of those things we have to start talking about and advocating for. And, and I think in the long, um, long run, um, the solution is, is of course, housing first and, and, and funding those programs. So I think Edmonton definitely has support from the city of Edmonton, uh, we have funding for this. Uh, they're very strong supporters of us, and we advocate for them as well. So, Han, you're the chair of the CTC, which I want to talk about a little bit. But before that, you're you're also an accountant. Am I right about that? And and uh, a real estate developer. Talk talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think you know, just like a lot of Asians, I was you know a failed doctor or lawyer, and um, I, I love the art of the deal. Okay, and so. Right. I, I started as a chartered accountant. I articled in Calgary. Um, I did a master's in professional accounting in Saskatchewan, master's um, school, Edwards School of Business. And I find, kind of floated around in industry. Um, my father ran a very successful oil and gas business, and then I kind of followed him. He needed help. Um, we started developing um, homes and, and buying multifamily properties. And then now we, we do a lot of retail leasing. So I do that all you know, from, from a family base a business. And so, yeah, it's been really fun and fruitful, but I feel like at this point right now, I always felt that building homes is, is sorry, building shelters is one thing, but it's really about building homes, right? So in Chinatown, we, we, uh, we talk about how do we revitalize this area? It's really about building that community back again. You know, there's a lot of frustration and even a bit of apathy, you could call it, um, that we have in Chinatown that we're trying to overcome. Um, so so yeah, that's that's kind of my road, and uh, I, I do enjoy everything that I'm doing in Chinatown right now. I think we're all failed something. So I'm a failed architect. I think Olivia, are you a failed actor, or what, what's 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 your failure? Uh, probably a, a singer. Yeah. I think I always wanted to sing. Honestly, <laughs> sing or like do some sort of music. Yeah, exactly. So I wouldn't I wouldn't worry too much about it. You're exactly where you need to be, Han. Um, let, let's move on to the CTC. Maybe tell us a little bit about the mandate for the collective. Yeah, you know, the mandate of the CTC is is unique, okay? I think what um, the city realized and a lot of community members realized was that the BIA oftentimes um, would deal with the businesses, uh, but they don't necessarily, you know, pay attention to the landlords, right? Because that's not necessarily what you call a business. Although, in truth, you know, if everything went sour, the landlords are the ones that are held owing and, and holding those properties and, and wanting to find new tenants. And then with... Um, with the CBA, I always call them kind of the umbrella organization for a lot of the association. They represent the cultures. And so, um, like, but who speaks to infrastructure? Who speaks to neighborhood renewal? Who speaks to, you know, a marketing Chinatown or, or even the overall community governance model? How does that work? How do we all fit in together? 
So I always call the CC um, kind of that catch-all, you know, for anyone that doesn't feel like have a place in Chinatown or that their voice is not being heard or they can't find a place to volunteer. The CDC is always that landing spot for them. We want to be an inclusive environment for them to do that. Um, but our key mandate um, is to, you know, basically make Chinatown a place that you want to live and work in. I mean, that's what everybody wants. Like, what do we want downtown to be? We want it to be a place that people want to live and work in. And so that's one of our goals is to restore some of that vibrancy that we've lost over the years. And then, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're funded in part by the city of Edmonton. How, how else uh, are you funded? So our, our main funder is the city of Edmonton. They're the ones that are committed. They're the ones that have the most um, at stake, including our community, of course. We have a lot at stake. I would say the lion's share of our funding does come from the city of Edmonton, but we do get a lot of funding from grants. Like we, Our organization was only four years old, so building up that, that profile where you can make grants and you have people that can lift up those programs, you have volunteers that can help support it, is difficult. But we have been getting uh, grants from you know, Canadian Race Relations Foundations and Edmonton's Art Council. And, but the lion's share of our funding definitely comes from the city of Edmonton. Yeah, fair enough. And I noticed, I was reading through your um, the Chinatown strategy, and I noticed the city of Edmonton's logo is directly on the cover. So they're pretty major partners for you. Is that right? Yeah, I think um, so. The story is that there was a group of very, very um, involved community members that, you know, they made their trips. They did their tours to San Francisco. They went to, you know, Chinatowns that were successful, the ones that were not, to kind of advocate to the city to say, hey, we don't want what we see in this city. or We, we want what this city is like. Um, and so, you know, the city of Edmonton recognized that and, um, and came up with the Chinatown strategy. It was through community consultation. But of course, there was um, a city planner involved um, that kind of summarized all of those items. It couldn't, it's not comprehensive. It doesn't include everything. And of course, there's, there's issues today now that we see that were not you know, issues four years ago. So it's, it's something that, that, that we're dealing with right now, but we're actually looking at possibly updating a lot of the strategy for those changes. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. That was kind of going to be my next set of questions. What, what I really like about the strategy is all the action items have uh, like a who's in charge here. And I noticed that the city of Edmonton is either supporting or leading quite a few of these. So do you feel like you've been getting that, uh, that level of support and kind of implementing some of these action items from all the various groups? I think, I think the city of Edmonton is, is very much a partner. Um, they have probably one of the hardest jobs, which is to perform an audit, you know, that can speak to uh, all the situations that we have in Chinatown, but also to provide a, use that to provide a roadmap of what we need to address first. So, so that's a huge burden um, that we want to help lift up with them. Um, but yeah, like the, the strategy right now, it does delegate certain duties to certain parties, but I think the ideal situation is one where we have all members represented on the CDC and that we're all able to vote on these together and that we can apply a proper mix of priority, right? Like, of course, safety and security is paramount, but uh, when do we start talking about economic recovery? When do we start to throw in that honey, which is the celebrating Chinatown? And, and then how do, we, how do we do all that? How do we delegate all that? That's the governance model. So um, it is a, it's an organization that's very unique in all of Canada, um, one that I'm very proud to, you know, to belong to. And I think the city is very proud to, uh, to support. Now, you kind of alluded to it that there's um, some current challenges that weren't present when you previously put the strategy together. Can you maybe talk about some of those challenges? You know, I, I don't want this to go off, off track here, but you hear the same problem across Chinatowns in Canada, which is that politics are often at play. We don't all have to agree on everything. But, but at the same time, 
you want to be able to advocate together. You want to be able to speak together because your words mean more when you can act together. And so, um, you know, the first four years of the CDC was very difficult because we had to get our board composed. You know, we had to get policies in place. We had to, uh, to find people that care, volunteers that care. So, you know, that was, that was really difficult to do, but we've done that. And now, now that we've done that, we've been able to, you know, talk about some of the good work. You know, we were able to advocate for $10.1 million in Chinatown. And um, without doing that, how can I ask people to join up as members? How can I ask volunteers to come out here and sweat and toil and pick up garbage if, if, we're not, if we don't have a couple badges on our sleeve, on our, on our lapel? Um, so that was one. Um, but of course, COVID happened. And, and that was very difficult. You know, we were already looking at losing 30% of our businesses just through COVID. And I think that number is up to 50%. From 250 businesses, we've lost half of them. You know, that, that's not just because of COVID. You know, Chinatown was on its knees before COVID happened. I think there was a feeling that it wasn't safe and secure in Chinatown even before COVID. But I think what COVID did was, um, you know, people abandoned the streets. They're all at home, right? Trying to be safe. Stay safe, stay home. Um, but what about people that don't have homes? They're on the streets. And, and in a way, they, they, um, they claim it. Right, like there's no one here. Someone has to take care of this area, and the homeless start to take care of it. They, th- they start to use it, start to to make it their own, and so that was difficulty because then, when of course COVID stopped, and people came back to the businesses, and and, and people started to shop and, and walk those streets, there was a conflict. Right, who owns this land? Um, truthfully, none of us do. It it belongs to Indigenous. Right, it's Treaty Six land, and we all share it, and we all we all try to find um, that secret sauce to coexist. Um, and then finally, you have this huge opiate crisis, this huge um, houselessness issue um, that is like that long-term piece of the puzzle that I don't think anybody can say that they've been able to figure out. Um, and of, of, of course, in our Chinatown here, we have that in a very acute fashion. Like in Calgary, they also have homelessness, but I think the, the geographic way it's set up, you know, it it doesn't hurt it as much. And I think their size of their Chinatown is a lot smaller. In Edmonton, our, like if you count the acres that we have that we count as Chinatown, it's huge. It might, might be one of the largest in all of North America. So, um, and then you, you talk about the concentration of some of the social services that are in North Chinatown. Um, it's very difficult for those businesses at this time right now, so. Oh, and I actually think you bring out one thing that uh, I definitely want to ask you about was like, buildings because there's a lot of um there's a lot of empty buildings that are in north chinatown and south South chinatown right now um i really would like to listen to your feedback about some of the density that's going on right now with some of the bigger well they were landmarks when i was growing up like pacific rim mall was a really big one and as well as um, the Chinatown Multicultural Center was also a really big one. And then, of course, that grocery store just right next to it. I think that landscape has changed so much with a lot of the developments that are going nearby. I think maybe we could shift sort of a bit about that change in density that's happening in both commercial and residential that has triggered a lot of these through some of the issues that are happening today. So Chinatown is kind of split into two right now. Uh, and I use the underpass as kind of that dividing split. So North Chinatown will represent the businesses, um, you know, and, and that economic revitalization. And then South Chinatown is where it used to be. Um, but right now what you see are a lot of the elders mansions. You have a lot of the associations. You have a lot of vacant lots, um, property owners that have just held on to them 
waiting for that, you know, tipping point to hit and for them to cash out. Um, I think in South Chinatown, there's a really, really storied history that people don't understand. And we need to do a better job of bringing awareness towards, which is that there was a displacement of our Chinatown from where Canada Place used to be. And if you can imagine, you know, any kind of business improvement area as a plant, anytime you uproot a plant, you plant it again, it's going to take time for it to grow back. And so, you know, when that happened, um, a lot of the businesses did go east of 97th Street, um, but a lot of them didn't. And they realized that those properties were expensive or and, and the owners, whether they be Polish or Jewish or what have you, um, they knew that this was happening. They knew that the businesses were getting displaced and they would hold their, their lease rates. So a lot of them went north of the underpass. Um, now, when you talk about the residents right now, currently, the density in South Chinatown is very low. It's mainly composed of the elders and the seniors' mansions. Um, you do have some single dwellings, um, but it's an area the city has put a lot of money into. They've started a community revitalization um, levy. They, they've called it the quarters. Uh, but even the renaming of that area of the city from South Chinatown or Old Town Chinatown to the quarters is a is a point of contention, right? Like there's there's there are a lot of people within our community that are very upset because there was a Chinatown strategy when they were told, when they were asked to move from, from Canada Place east of 97th Street, um, there was this plan called the Chinatown Plan of 1979 that was done through the work, hundreds of hours of volunteers that came up with a plan, you know, included things like a Chinatown Plaza, movie theaters, shopping centers that was supposed to act as that focus point, that node, that community hub where people can come and then continue to enjoy Chinatown. But of course, that never happened. It was never funded. And so right now we have a big gaping hole in what, what I refuse to call the quarters. I call it the South Chinatown. Um, and so another dynamic that's added to that is, is the fact that the Downtown Business Association manages all that area. Okay, Chinatown, um, the CDC help steward advocacy for South Chinatown. Um, but in terms of like being able to push the needle, drive the needle, um, a lot of that is, is on the shoulders of the Downtown Business Association. Now in North Chinatown, um, you have the businesses and you have a lot of historic buildings, um, but a lot of the people that used to live there were you know, rooming homes, um, single men that were living there. And then over time, as the businesses came, those buildings started to disappear, replaced um, by businesses and um, never returned. So one of the largest problems we have in Chinatown is that without a strong density to support those businesses, of course, as you know, um, it's harder. You have to ask people to come in from outside of the community to support Chinatown. Um, so with that CRL in the quarters, the city of Edmonton has recognized that there's a problem. They want to make it an area that's conducive for high-density developers. Um, but just in my personal interactions with, with developers, um, when they come in there and they see this marketing plan called the quarters, they, they see the five corners, they see the armature, they see the historic you know, uh, part of the quarters and the artist quarters. So that's what they're sold. But when they actually get there, they see pagodas. They see Chinatown associations. They see Chinese lettering. And yet there's nothing that's referenced that leverages that cultural value in the, the quarters uh, revitalization. So, so it's a really tough sell is what I'm saying. Like for a developer, when they come in there, am I building in Chinatown or am I building in an area that's changing from Chinatown to something else? Is this going to be, is this like a mass gentrification project where you're going to take away all those Asian elements and now this is 
This is like an inclusive area that includes everyone. Like, what is it? And I think that's a problem that the city of Edmonton has to work with Chinatown to figure out because I think they're missing on a really great, valuable piece, which is that culture has a measurable value and that people actually will live in a certain part of the city because of that culture. You know, I think Chinatown is known as a place that anything can happen. I would love to live in a place where LGBTQ people live there. We have seniors that are LGBTQ. We have, you know, we have indigenous people that own properties there. We have, you know, Somalians. Like that is what I feel is what the quarters need to be rebranded is that it's an, it's an area of landed immigrant. It's a place where if you look at the history of what South Chinatown used to be, it's a place where people would, anybody came, Jewish people, Polish people, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I love that answer. It's almost kind of, it's, it's about planning for multiculturalism. So maybe just a quick follow-up question to some of, again, some of the positions of the buildings that you, um, you were mentioning. So for example, has the value in property gone down for some of these, for like the iconic hall block building or the all happy or even Taipan, like has those gone down because that, that identity is not defined? No, I, I don't think it's because the identity is not defined. Okay. Unfortunately, it's, it's a direct result of the social disorder that we have in Chinatown. Um, Like right now, the hall block is, I, I believe this week is going to auction. Okay. Like this is a building that was probably purchased and invested. The total investment dollars in, is in excess of $6 million, even six to eight years ago. And now I think you could probably buy it for 2.8 or $3 million. Okay. You talk about where China marble is, where Pagalak used to be. And that building was sold, you know, before COVID a couple of years for half a million dollars. Okay. Um, there's a lot of buildings right now that have lost, like even All Happy. I think they couldn't sell that whole shopping complex that All Happy is in now. And then the owner of the restaurant actually bought it. And half of that building is sitting empty because, of course, there's a lot of social disorder in that part of the city. So, no, it's not because we have not been able to assert the value of our culture and then to extend that to the buildings and to the vibrancy of the area. It's because I feel like there's a bit of, there's another problem that we have to address. Um, which is health assistance and mental addictions and, and, that, and that ingredient in Chinatown and, and how that changes the, you know, the, the texture and the taste and, and all the things that people love about Chinese, you know, if you want to say the metaphor is Chinese food. So I'm learning a lot here. So uh, as a fun fact, when I was still trying to be that failed architect, I worked uh, for one of the firms that created the quarters area redevelopment plan. So um, I apologize because not once in that document does the word South Chinatown or Chinatown even pop up. So it kind of whitewashed um, the entire culture and just kind of superseded it. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't think it was intentional. I, th- I think the situation was that it was desperate, right? We, we didn't have a lot of um, vitality in that or businesses that were coming. And so the city saw like this problem and they, they threw everything at it. Okay. And in that process, in that urgency, things were forgotten, right? Of course, now in hindsight, it's easy to say, why didn't we name the street G Street, which is like one of the first, you know, families or surnames to come to Edmonton? Or why do we call this the Moss Street? Or why do we call this Ochichawan Street? Like there's, there's a lot of things that were missed, not just for the, you know, Chinese community, but even the indigenous, like, why are we not naming some of those streets um, after Treaty 6, right? So, 
Um, no, I, I don't think it was deliberate. I think it was just a matter of the, the situation and the, the duress that the city was under. For sure. Do you see, I mean, because the, the quarter's ARP um, hasn't really spurred a ton of development. And we just kind of talked a, a little bit about, um, you know, some of those challenges. And, and I'd love to talk to you about what you think of the direct control zoning in that uh, in that area too. But do you see a future where that, uh, that ARP plan could be updated and kind of blended with your Chinatown strategy document? Yeah, I hope to. I mean, that's what we advocate for. The city loves to come up with ARPs and plans and 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 reports and studies, and th- those are very important right? to provide kind of that that roadmap. But I, I think what the city often does, and I hope this doesn't come across the wrong way, is that there are always these grandiose ideas of transit-oriented development, or or that um, you know streetscape improvements are going to immediately overnight fix an area. Um, the truth is, it's it, it's not that easy, right? Um, you know, in in that part of the city, uh, of course, we know that there's a lot of money that's been invested. But I, I feel the missing ingredient is something that I always look at Calgary for. Calgary, when they redeveloped East Village, um, they had an arm's length group set up through the city of Calgary to manage that development. You know, so you, you, you're talking about a group of, of really heavy industry hitters and planners and people at the table that are saying, you know what, we need to have two hotels. We need to round up four of these large developers. We need to tell them all at once and coordinate all of that to happen so that it ha- you know, that you get really that critical mass for that change. Unfortunately, Edmonton, we don't have that. And council has never been able to make up their mind whether or not they want to get in that business. But I truly feel without having that handholding, it's just going to take longer. It's going to take much longer. And at a certain point, you know, what I always feel with the city is that they'll just throw in the towel and they might rezone it to something that's easier for to happen, right? Maybe they'll take from DC1 and they'll rezone to RE7 or something else that, you know, um, will allow for a, a smaller developer to come in and start something. So even for example, right now, there's probably two or three different parcels in the city of Edmonton in that area, right by double greeting. Um, that people are lining up for to build affordable housing, which is a great thing. I think we all know that that's part of the solution. Um, It's not what the original intent was, though, right? And we also have to be mindful of of that compromise, you know, because, you know, in other areas of the city, businesses get expropriated for that. You know, in in Chinatown, I don't think we had that problem because there was basically nothing um, left much, right? So, um, again, I think... The city always has the right intentions, but the execution of it can, I think, needs to be a little bit more thought out. Yeah, I, I'm an urban planner, so I can attest we are fantastic at making plans. We are sometimes very terrible at implementing those plans. Um, but gosh, can we drop pretty pictures for sure and make nice plans. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit. You talked about um, the bridge um, as being kind of the major, I guess it's the separation piece between north and south, but it's also kind of an impediment. In your strategy document, there's a couple of different concepts. Do you have a favorite one? Personally, I don't mind keeping it there. Okay. I, I, I know this is going to get me in trouble, but personally, um, I, as a developer, I always try to see, is there value there in what it is already? Like, like can we get over what it is today and, and, and make it something else tomorrow? But I know that, you know, when I go down 97th Street, that being said, when I go down 97th Street, it is an impediment to my, to my view. Like, what's past the bridge? Oh, I don't know. Let's just go somewhere else, right? And so it is a problem for the businesses, you know, if you can imagine every year, there's probably about one or two trucks that get stuck underneath that underpass. 
And so as a safety issue, it's, it's also not being answered, right? It's one of the last rat tunnels um, in our city that we have, and it's right in the core part of Edmonton, right? But I think as a community, what we've all agreed upon is that it needs to go. I think we have multiple prong approach. One, which is how do we beautify it and, you know, quote unquote, put lipstick on a pig and make it appealing and attractive that people will still be like, hey, I love the underpass for what it is, right? Um, what's another one is how do we get rid of it, right? Can we, can we remove it? Because of course the museum that's there right now, um, they have great issues, right? Like there's certain ways of getting into their under garage that, um, affect the elimination of a bridge, right? So there's, there's many, many things. And then of course there's the politics of it, which is who owns the bridge is it Qualico's or the cities, um, from what I what I'm hearing is that you know it, it is owned by Qualico and they're willing to work with any party, um, inclu- especially the community, to to find something that works for everybody. Um, but it is right now like a symbol of 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 this inability to change. And that's what really bugs me about the underpass is that it's it's an issue that we've been talking about since 1995, 1996, and it, I think in 1996 probably like a hundred thousand dollars I think to get rid of it or less. And now we're talking about millions to get rid of it. So it's, it's not a problem that's going away. It's going to get more expensive and uh, unless we get ahead of it. So um, yeah, there's multiple different things that we're looking at and none of them have been completely sussed out yet, but uh, there's a very interesting gentleman by the name of Yasushi Oki from the green violin um, that has a really intriguing plan called the Phoenix revitalization which uses the underpass as the symbol of the lack of change and changing it and saying, let's remove this thing as a symbol of maybe the oppression that the Chinese have had, you know, with the, Chi- with the Canadian railway, you know, as you know, we're celebrating, well, I would say celebrate, we're commemorating the hundredth year of the exclusion act in June of 2023. So can we, can we leverage that the fact that the remand's being demolished and, get them to come over and help us take care of the underpass? Is there a cost savings in doing that? Um, and then can the, can the community agree and, and make it, you know, something that everyone in the city of Edmonton can get behind? Because this bridge is not just something that the community is going to be able to do it alone. Um, but yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of talk right now, a lot of deals and things happening to, to suss it out and see if we can actually eliminate the bridge. It, has it been, Han, has it been so hard because every time people come together to talk about it, have the right, are, are the voices not there? Are the right people at the table not there? That, you know, like a more firm decision can't be made? No, the people, everyone that needs to be at the table is definitely there. I think what, what we're lacking is people like Yasushi, right? People like you, Olivia, right? We need planners, people that can actually speak and not just say, oh, we want this gone because this is a symbol of our oppression. No, we want to have people to speak and say, hey, if we get rid of this, this is what could happen. And this is the beauty of that change. And, and to, to share that with the rest of the city of Edmonton. Right now, it's just an issue for Chinatown, but it isn't. It's something that everyone can get behind in the city of Edmonton. So like, to answer your question, of course, you know, we have all the major groups at the table to discuss this. Um, but in order for that to happen, we need to have everyone in the city of Edmonton to join that table to make it, to execute it. Oh, it's so interesting. I could talk about that all day. <laughs> that one, that one actually is a really, it's because 
that that bridge is actually to me is a very interesting. Uh, it's one of those things where uh, I find that it's a landscape architect and an architect where both their disciplines overlap and actually create something really interesting. Um, there was uh, the intervention called High Park in Calgary, which they've redone this abandoned parking lot into a colorful playground. Um, and it was really interesting. Um, it wasn't architecture, but there were sculptures and it was the scale of it was a very urban scale, but it was architecture in that it was about providing a space and placemaking, which is, of course, resonates with with me a lot, you know? Yeah, like even, even the bridge, I, I know that at one point uh, there was um, a garden, a community garden there, but community gardens take a lot of work and a lot of resources to manage. Um, there used to be a piece of artwork on it. Um, it looked like a fan. Um, and then that was taken down. Um, and actually there's a, there's kind of a, a painful story there too, like with the artist and having that removed. So yeah, I think even right now we have a grant. It's a lighting grant that we received money through the Macaulay revitalization. And we're looking at doing projection light um, on the underpass portion to beautify and to, to, to you know, there's, Every architect and planner knows that you can turn anything into something, right? You know, in New York, they have High Line. It could be our version of a High Line. So it just, like, what does the community want? And, and is it actually realizable? Or will we get people to come and visit it as a tourist, you know, attraction? Um, and we have to be realistic. You know, like, I, I personally, I, I think it's, it's, it's tough. I think we've tried that already with the gardens. And I think the city has already kind of dedicated that intersection right in front of Pacific Rim as the, the logical crossing point. But I think if you talk about a really safe crossing point, it'd be that bridge, right? You don't even have to deal with the traffic. So there's a lot of meat in that discussion. Oh, so interesting. I remember I remember the garden. It did um, happen for quite a bit back there, but it's a lot of maintenance. Um, I'm just going to switch gears a little bit because this is something a little bit of a broader subject, and it's about identity, because and it's something that... Um, I'm always fascinated in, and it's also been a topic that comes up in a lot of media as well. So I feel so the role of Chinatown, of course, plays a large, it, it plays a role in the community's identity. And as generations start to grow old, and they retire from the businesses and the shops they set up, this, the identity of this community shifts. So it's no longer about, I find it's no longer about immigrants that came from another country to share language and economic growth in a neighbor in a neighborhood but it rather it's a place that identifies more towards multiculturalism and experiences behind how well asian canadian or even actually going back to even your comment before it's it's how people that are adapting to a canadian life and how they are positioning themselves as a canadian as an immigrant it's about their experiences so I'm curious to know what kind of active discussions you're having with the community that works to uphold some traditions where we, it, it, you know, where the story and the history of Chinatown was a lot of the mom and pop prairie shops that we always see. But, you know, there's a sort of renewal as well, I feel, um, coming in. And especially since you, this uh, CTC was found in 2018, it's, a, it's found on a very different ground than I'd say some of the other organizations that have been around too for a while. Yeah, it, 
honestly, I think it, the word boils down to inclusivity, right? Like everybody has their history and their sense of belonging with Chinatown. Some of those are really, really old seniors that came, you know, over to start a new life, um, work the railroads and, you know, didn't have their wives here. And so they all kind of clustered together through their associations, through their surnames. And, you know, that generation has, of course, has passed. And, and, and then there was this huge rush of people from Indonesia, Malaysia, um, Hong Kong, Vietnam that happened around the 70s. And they all kind of came over because, again, the Exclusion Act was lifted and became a place that welcomed immigrants from those areas. Um, and then they have their own rendition of what Chinatown is. And that's not even the one that I, that's the one my parents um, adhere to. That's not even the one that I identify with. The one that I identify one is, is one where I, I really felt that when I was, I'm born in Edmonton, I always grew up thinking I was white. Okay. All my friends were white and, and it was part of like, you know, you're wanting to belong, you know, authentically to this new home right? That you want to assimilate, you want to belong. And, and then through the years, you realize that, you know, although you feel Canadian, you are visibly a minority. And then you start to find, you know, support for that identity. And so for me, you know, growing up in Chinatown, um, you know, putting my hand in the lion and, and get, you know, touching it for good luck, that became my authentic Asian, my authentic sense of belonging to Chinatown. And so that's why I say everyone's is different. And my son is going to be different too, right? And even mainland Chinese people, which is like a big question mark I've never been able to solve, they have their own authenticity with Chinatown. They don't feel um, that it belongs to them, right? Because in a way, it feels like a little Disneyland from where they're from, right? They go to China to feel like where they're from. And I can't go to China. You know, my parents are from Malaysia. I go there to visit and to meet my family, but that's not where I'm from. My sense of belonging is from the years that we used to drive down from 1565 to 63rd Street, and we drive all the way into Chinatown every day. And growing up in those on those streets and seeing, you know, an occasional, you might see another friend, and like those are those are the experiences, those lived experiences. So um, everyone's is different, and I think we have to respect that they're all different, but they all mean the same thing, which is that it's our connection to a place that made us feel like home, that gave us a sense of belonging. And, and, um, and that's, that's the, that's really the way I feel about it. Yeah. It's so interesting. It's, it really brings up this um, idea of relevancy and um, how even I, I, I resonate with how you grew up because I also grew, was born in Edmonton and I grew up along with a lot, of, a lot of white people. I went to a school that where I was a visible minority, you know, and and I think it's so interesting because uh, I think a lot of the tie back into like what I when I tie back into Chinatown is very much an identity of how my experiences have been as an Asian Canadian. But it's not the same experience as my my, my parents or even my grandpa, like he very much experienced Chinatown as a community where every like every you would live there, you'd work there, and your friends are there. You know. Yeah, I I think that's something I struggle with a lot. Um, you know, when we want to find what's the optimal tenant mix in Chinatown, right? Like, are we only trying to recruit Chinese, Asian, Filipino, Vietnamese businesses, or is there room for other people? Like. 
I think there should be room for other people, right? Like when I, you know, when, when I think about the optical tenant mix, it's that multiculturalism, right? That Chinatown is that flag that says, hey, anything's welcome here, but that we need to have the Somalian businesses. We need to open up their doors for Ukrainian people, Philipp- anyone to come in, BIPOC to come in, indigenous, especially indigenous people to claim some of that too for their own. Um, and that's that's the way I see it. But yeah, you talk to some of those businesses, they're always kind of sitting down, having their tea and talking about the good old days when Chinatown was thriving and people would come in from out of town and get their whole weeks or their months groceries and then go back out to Bonacourt or whatever it is. And um, it's just different now. And so we have to come to terms with that, right? That this is a changing place and we have to change with it. Oh, and that's fantastic. I, I'm curious about... CTC is kind of in its infancy still, then it's only four years old. What's the future that you see for the CTC within the city of Edmonton? Well, sorry, one thing that our community hasn't really done well is maybe advocating for other people, you know, specifically the city of Edmonton. I think oftentimes we have a lot of frustration in our community. Things are not going our way, like okay, flat out, right? It's just not. It's, it's just one fire after another. Things are not going our way, but we still have to find room and time. And as much as we want to criticize and you know, tell people how bad things are, we also have to find solutions. We have to find ways of thanking our partners and advocating for the good work when they do that good work. So you know, one of the first things that we started to do at the CDC was to, to find that edge. You know? um, so I feel like we've done that. I feel like the city of Edmonton knows that we advocate for a lot of the things that they do, but some things they don't, and we're not going to advocate for that. But whenever we can, we do. Um, I think another thing that we're going to focus on is is becoming that catch-all for everyone else that over the years has felt discouraged or you know, not empowered or not engaged in our community, that we can become that place where people can come and share their crazy new ideas. Right? The truth is that the Chinatown, that there will be no Chinatown if there's no youth. Right? The youth have to believe in it. They have to want it. They have to belong to it, and we need to give them that opportunity. So that's that's kind of like what I feel like as a leader. You know, I need people to to want to follow that. You know, to want to follow that um, that idea that this is an inclusive area. Another thing that I can see that's happening is that there's, of course, with the recent deaths, and of course, all these elections that have been happening lately. There's like this hyper focus on politics, and. Um, I think another future role that the CDC is already doing and will continue to do is finding alignments with other groups within our community to advocate to other levels of government to help our situation. So that's that's kind of the long term. But on the short term, of course, we want to we, we still need to to get help from the city and, and, and get funding and try to, try to include the BIA and the CBA and everyone into that. Um, and that's about communication. So. You know, the future role of the CDC, I feel, is to, you know, if we're, if we're that catch basin for everyone else, it, it really means that maybe the communication is not there. And so maybe the BIAs, is, uh, they're overwhelmed and maybe the, the associations are overwhelmed. Well, the CDC has to help and provide that communication, provide, be that liaison between all these different groups, provide that neutrality, that apolitical kind of stance, and, um, and provide that communication to everyone. Oh, I love it. Um, so Han, we always ask, um, all of our guests to have a call to action, um, to finish off the episode. Can you, uh, tell our listeners what our, your call to action is? Yeah, I think it's always very simple. I mean, I live in a kind of a nice neighborhood and whenever I get the chance, 
um, I tell them about Chinatown. And maybe some of my friends might be really annoyed. Han, you, you always talk about Chinatown, change the subject. But the truth is that we are, my, I really feel the reason why we have racism towards Asian, um, the reason why we are constantly have systemic racism or displacement is because our value in Canada is not known. It's not solidified. I think the Indigenous are, are doing great work in that area, which is that reconciliation and say, hey, this is, this is where I belong. This is my impact on the history of Canada. Asians have to do that. We have to not be silent. We have to tell people, share the stories of, of my grandfather when he came here, he owned this business, or, or that, um, you know, that the problem in Chinatown um, is very desperate and you need to talk to your MLA or you need to talk to your neighbor and, and your neighbor's a doctor. Like We have to spread these stories and then basically lift up the value of our history and, and then when you cement that value in, of our history in the history of Canada, they, they think, you know, they don't treat you that way, right? Because they realize you are valuable. You do have a place in this history and that you are Canadian. I think that's the biggest thing is that how do we make Canada, uh, Chinatown um, matter for everyone? The truth is it is multiculturalism. If we are Canadian then I think multiculturalism, this idea of being a mosaic of all these different ethnicities is something I'm extremely proud to call myself Canadian about, right? So lifting up the black community, lifting up the indigenous community, lifting up the Chinese community, lifting up whatever, only enriches our own lives, only makes us more proud to be as Canadians. And so that's my message. Share your stories, talk to your neighbors, annoy the hell out of them. And if you're really, really daring, Talk to your MLA or your counselor and tell them how you feel about the, the situation that you see in Chinatown and in Canada and other neglected communities in Edmonton. Han, that's excellent. And I think that's a great place to dismount. So I just want to say thank you so much for coming on and talking to Olivia and I. It's been a fantastic 50 minutes. And um, yeah, we're looking forward to chatting in the future and seeing what the CTC is up to in the next couple of years. Yeah, thank you so much for, for having me. And it's always a pleasure to be able to talk about Chinatown and to spread that awareness. So thank you guys very much. Thanks, Han. Oh my God, what a fantastic episode. I love that he started off by explaining that he's a failed something, you know, failed doctor, failed lawyer. I, I love that just kind of mentality that we're all kind of failed some things. And, and that's why I asked you what, what you were a failed um, version of. Uh, and I don't think you gave a really good answer in the episode. Did you think about it since then? Yeah, no, I think I gave a really good answer, Ryan. I, I want you to be a singer. <laughs> yeah. I want you to be a singer. Do you still sing? Uh, no, can't even. I'm terrible. I don't know if I, I don't even like hearing myself in karaoke. So. What? What about in the car by yourself? Uh, no, not even in the shower. No. Nope. <laughs> That's incredible. Not even in your head. A, a new song comes out that you really like. You're not even singing it in your head. No, no. So all I do is just uh, when it's a song that I really like, I just dance like no one's looking. There you go. <laughs> and that's the best way to do it. But I was a failed singer. Okay. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> okay. No, that's, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that for sure. Um, there's a couple of things that I thought were fascinating from the, the episode. The first is um, the north-south divide of Chinatown. I was being very honest when I was uh, explaining to Han that I didn't even know that there was a south Chinatown. Um, I just always referred to it as the quarters and didn't even realize that this quarters plan just overnight replaced this entire plan for, for south Chinatown. Um, yeah, it's it, it, they're two very distinct 
areas though and they're separated by this bridge do you have any opinions or thoughts on that bridge i know it's quite um it's been on everyone's mind for a really long time Mm -hmm. and um and it's one of those things where you know for a long time i i remember the chinatown community um saw it as such an eyesore and i think they still see it as um you know something that needs to get done to it i think um i'm going to definitely speak of it from as from a person walking along that area and trying to get into Chinatown, it isn't, I would say it's the safest. No. Um, but I think I always want something really cool t- for them to do to it. Like even just a really interesting lighting installation, I think would be, would really make a difference. You know, just color, like I agree. the color and the light, it would just bring, it would just brighten up and make that place a bit more safer. Agreed. I, I was in, um, gosh, I can't remember the city. It was somewhere in Sweden and they had this like really dingy, gross tunnel, but they allowed like graffiti art all the way through. And it was kind of like that bridge. Do you know the bridge um, in the West side by 109th street uh, where the trolley used to go through or whatever um, here in Edmonton? And it's like full of graffiti. Oh, yes. You know what I'm talking about? It was kind of like that. And so, yeah, like brightens up the space from an artist's perspective. Lighting was really interesting in there. The height of the ceiling there in that Swedish city was like maybe seven feet. So it was really, really cramped and it was a long tunnel, but it didn't feel like that because of the lighting and the art. So um, something at minimum that, did you know that this bridge actually has a name according to Google? It's called Living Bridge and it has... 3.3 3.3 average reviews or average score out of five. Oh, I did not know about its reviews. <laughs> Neither did I until I just looked it up. <laughs> no, there was a review. Yeah. Yeah. I knew it was called the Living Bridge. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. What were some comments, Ryan? Oh, let me read some out. They're fantastic. Uh, Dangerous after dark. Bridge is is an old rail line that hasn't been there for years. Has so much potential. Would love to see it grow. And then just a bunch of like three star, two star, five stars. You can Google, you can Google review anything these days. You can. Yeah. And anyone can write a Yelp review too. (laughs) Yeah. Keep that in mind when you're reading it for sure. What did you enjoy from the conversation? Yeah, I actually really... I really love listening to Han's um, goals of of how he saw CTC in our city. And I think that it's such a fresh take on, on how to position Chinatown in general. Its identity, I find, has changed so much. It's not just about um, a community that came together, you know, to want to live together and, you know, build businesses like and, and people that did come really long time ago when they were building the railroad, they were living in that area, but not everyone lives there. Like there's not a lot of Chinese people that live there anymore, you know? Right. Yeah. So I really like that. Uh, I really think it's a different position that he's taking with CTC. And I think I appreciate that. Yeah. The fact that it's only a four-year-old organization, I think is fascinating too, because I feel like um, the amount of kind of press Maybe not press, but maybe press. The amount of press, the amount of work they've done in just four years is is kind of significant in my opinion. And they have some challenges, obviously, but um, I'm excited for where they're going to go, especially with Han in charge. Yeah, me too. Me too. And I really like the point that he brought up of how modern youth actually don't go to Chinatown when they move here. Fascinating. Yeah, they go back to China to experience China. It's it's. Um, I think um, there is a lot of people that are working and are in those associations need to realize that too, because, you know, sometimes putting in um, ornamentation just to 
make it look like China isn't isn't necessarily going to be the um, element that move, that moves the needle. You know, it, it needs to be something else, right? What's the story? And I really think that story where he does talk a little bit about design for multiculturalism is something that's very strong. And I'm a total huge supporter of that. No, it's interesting. Yeah, like what, how often do you how often are you visiting Chinatown these days? Well, my mom works there. Amazing. Uh, I'd say I visit her at least three times a month. Oh wow! For sure, okay. just to just to catch up. Apart from like going to her house and having her 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 Chinese cooking that I will never I will never turn down. <laughs> <laughs> but I really, but I totally do go to Chinatown often whenever um, she's there and she wants to catch up for lunch. I think she works at Chinese Freemason, so uh, it's right next to Double Greeting. So we actually do go there quite a bit. Um, she, or we sometimes do takeout from there quite a bit. So, so that is South Chinatown that I usually visit quite often. Okay. And then what do you think, uh, what, what do you think would draw in more youth? I mean, solve, I'm not asking you to solve the, the CTC's problems right now, but, uh, like how does the youth see Chinatown? Oh, that's such a, that's such a great question, Ryan. I think they, uh, yeah, I think, I think they do. I think there's parts of it that they do want that they're super supportive of, you know, um, like food and also storytelling and just, just, this is the stuff that Han also mentioned too, like kind of the Chinese culture. I think the youth are actually very drawn to, to be honest, like calligraphy or, you know, playing an instrument. I think that stuff is very, very, um, is something that I think that should be, uh, really well supported and just advocated for. Uh, I think when it's, when you get, to parts of it where it does become a little bit more um, political with how landmarks should be shaped and stuff like that. I think that's probably where it can get a bit hard for everyone to be on the same side. I see. But I think I think I just I just really think that the youth is very more drawn to culture um, versus you know making physical landmarks or physical built structures that. I'm not saying that the district should never be rehabilitated <laughs> at all. I think yeah. it's more about creating spaces that do that help with the storytelling. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think, I think, I think that's where they go. There you go. Yeah, spoken <laughs> like a true architect right there. Yeah. Interesting. Well, yeah, no, this was, this was a really fascinating episode. So who do we need to shout out today? I think we need to shout out uh, Eric, actually. I'm going to shout Eric out. So Eric is a uh, listener to the podcast, I know, um, former student at the U of A. Now he's looking for work. So if anyone's out there hiring, look at Eric for sure. Um, Eric, thank you for listening to the podcast. And Olivia, um, thanks for hanging out with me today. And uh, thanks for driving this conversation. Yeah, this was great, Ryan. And thanks for listening, Eric.